I'm Spencer Levy, and this is The Weekly Take. In our conversations each week, we strive to present vivid snapshots of the commercial real estate world based on the unique perspectives of industry leaders. With the release of our most popular research publication of the year, we dig even deeper, armed with insights about the business from our 2021 first half U.S. cap rate survey. On this episode, a pair of capital markets veterans help us make sense of the numbers. We're active in over 40 U.S. markets, and when you're in 40 different markets, you've got a good lens on what's going on in the U.S. commercial real estate marketplace. That's Rod Vogel, Senior Managing Director of Principal Real Estate Investors. Based in Des Moines, Iowa, Rod heads up private equity real estate operations for the subsidiary of Principal Global Investors which reaches from the U.S. to a total of 28 countries worldwide with almost $96 billion in assets under management. We're seeing more of the private buyers come to play and and they're more yield driven. So they're willing to accept more of that risk in exchange for a higher yield where we really haven't seen the institutional capital move into that space. And that's Paige Morgan who was recently promoted to the position of Executive Vice President of Northwest Capital Markets for CBRE. Joining us from Portland, Oregon, Paige primarily covers office and industrial and has more than 15 years of experience as a capital markets broker. In a wide-ranging discussion, we'll not only unpack the numbers, we'll also go beyond them, discussing risk, asset classes, and markets, development, and demand, that is, where investors are setting their sights right now and for the future. We may get a little wonky, but we'll also have some fun making music references and learning from our guests on career journeys as well. Coming up, a comprehensive look at capital markets, CBRE's brand new cap rate survey, and more. That's right now on The Weekly Take. Welcome to the Weekly Take. So, Rod, let's start big picture. Principal, $96 billion of assets under management, uh, assets all over the world. Um, you could buy almost anything, but why don't you be a little bit more specific what principal is targeting today from an asset type perspective and how you're seeing values? Sure. Well, <clears throat> you know, with the uh, number of different clients and mandates we have, we're fortunate in that we have capital that'll buy core assets, value-add assets, and opportunistic assets. So up and down the risk spectrum, we're active in over 40 U.S. markets. And when you're in 40 different markets, you've got a good lens on what's going on in the U.S. commercial real estate marketplace. Specifically, and not surprising to you and and Paige, uh, our clients love multifamily and they love industrial. Um, You know, for obvious reasons, the space market fundamentals are tremendous. They're a wash in capital, as Paige can uh, certainly attest to. Uh, investors, uh, not only ours, but almost everyone universally loves the two property types. That's the positive. The challenge is yields in those two property types are amongst the lowest. Uh, they, well, they are the lowest I've ever seen in my 33 years with cap rates, certainly in the threes. Uh, for both property types, uh, and I, I think I've seen a, an industrial deal go down sub 3% cap rate. So that's the challenge um, with those two property types. What it's forced us to do is a couple of things. One, broaden our uh, array of property types that we're investing in and moving into some what we'll call niche property sectors. 
single family rental, manufactured housing, data centers, and life sciences, to name a few. And those are four that we're actively investing in today. We're looking to underweight retail and office. We're selling there where we can. Um, And again, primarily focusing on the niche property types and uh, industrial multifamily for our growth going forward. Paige, um, Rod just gave a great overview of the markets, uh, multifamily and industrial being uh, tops of many, many investors' lists, but yields are at historic lows. Um, Didn't show as much love for office, but you cover office uh, and industrials. How's the office market doing in the Pacific Northwest? It's really a um, a case of sort of the haves and the have-nots. So if you're in an office market where you can see the long-term growth drivers, where, where you can see the long-term fundamentals, then you, you have good liquidity in, in that office space. Seattle's a great example of that. Um, you know, the east side of Seattle really barely skipped a beat just given the list of, of credit companies that call that area home and continue to grow there. And also the life science factor is is a clear driver of long-term growth. So we're really seeing that liquidity in those markets with those prospects. And, you know, capital is trying to get ahead of that demand and absorption. And so it's very clear to see that demand and absorption in industrial and multifamily. And they're selecting the office markets where they can see it. In those markets where there's not as clear of a picture for um, for the growth, we're seeing more of the private buyers come to play, and, and they're more yield-driven. So they're willing to accept more of that risk in exchange for a higher yield, where we really haven't seen the institutional capital move into that space. You use the term uh, non-institutional capital, the private buyer. You also use the term the haves and have-nots want to be all positive here, but there are some have-nots out there. There are some office assets with shorter-term weighted average lease terms and otherwise that are harder to trade. Talk a little bit about what makes a tradable office asset versus one that is maybe not tradable today. Right. I think the not tradable is it still depends. You're still really looking for data points in the market. So, you know, that's what's allowing investors to underwrite. So if you have leasing fundamentals where you can point to comparables or you have a sense of where the demand is going, those markets are are more liquid. It's easier to underwrite. It's easier to trade. Um, If you're in a market where, you know, really not seeing much leasing activity, very little data to point to, hard to set market rents or, um, we haven't seen much investment volume in those markets either. It's just a little unsettling for a lot of capital. But on the private side, they have other motivations. And so they're looking for opportunities where they can compete. It's difficult for them often to compete on those long-term net lease products. So they're finding different opportunities where the bid list is thinner. So we're here today not just to talk about different types of real estate and markets and values. We're talking about the cap rate survey by CBRE, which has historically been our number one most popular research piece produced. Um, Rod, uh, how do you use the cap rate survey information? What do you think about it? And um, how does it influence your decision making on, on where to buy and what to buy? Yeah, it's widely read within our shop, Spencer. Your team has so much real-time data 
on transactions. And I know they all, uh, people like Paige all contribute to the survey. So uh, it's not uh, an investor sentiment survey. It's real facts, as I call it. And so um, I put together a, a, a summarized version of that for our internal teams and uh, for discussions with our clients and basically show them where cap rates are at by market, where uh, we see discount rates are at by market. And a lot of that, again, is information that's coming from your team. So we find it tremendously helpful because we have to demonstrate to our clients what is a market yield. Right. And while they don't necessarily like three caps and 5.5 on levered IRRs, it's the market. And so we tell them, you know, this is the market. Um, they have to determine do they want to participate in it or not. But as I said, facts are facts. And it's widely used by us, given just, again, the, the tremendous data gathering that you guys have uh, the capabilities to put together. So um, very helpful. And thank you for doing it. I know it takes a lot of time. With this episode, we are going to put a link to our cap rate survey so all of you can read it. Uh, but Paige, you're both a user of the survey, a reader of it, looking at different markets, but you also give some of the data in the survey. Why don't you give us both sides of that as using it and actually providing your opinion on the values in your markets? Right. It's always great for me when it comes out because it's, it's just really helpful to get perspective on a national level. We do collect, connect with our colleagues often, but to actually be able to, to digest the information and see it all presented together, I think is always really interesting. I think at first blush, it's sort of surprising that maybe office was sort of flat. Um, but I think when you really dig down, um, what was probably leading to a lot of that is just the, the kind of liquidity we did see was more in that long-term net leased assets for the office space. So I think that is partially reflected in the survey. Um, you know, in terms of contributing to it, um, as I mentioned, Portland, unfortunately, didn't have a ton of trades. But of course, our perspective just on where things are going was included. And I think that's been one of the real um, valuable lessons for brokers. And I think what our clients are, are constantly sort of enforcing to us is, we need you guys to see where the puck is going, not where it's been, right? So we really need to look forward to see the trends and see where things are heading. If we're looking in the rearview mirror, we're, we're missing value and perspective. So I think the cap rate survey for us as professionals and contributing to it, you know, always challenging ourselves to really be looking forward as that's where we all are trying to get to. Um, the other piece that I just wanted to reflect on is that cap rate is just one measure of return. And I think when you're looking at these low rates in industrial and multifamily, people are getting kind of fixated on these low cap rates. But given the rent growth that we're seeing in some of those markets, particularly industrial, just driven by this um, unprecedented level of demand, that isn't always captured in the cap rate, right? So that all in return is probably on par with, maybe a little bit tighter, but on par with where principal was pre-pandemic. But you have these other factors that are contributing to your return with like growth and um, demand. But let's go back to the industrial side for just a moment. And you mentioned you're seeing three caps. You even saw a two cap. I've seen a few two caps in uh, the Inland Empire. I'm seeing Atlanta trading at sub four cap levels. Rod, how do you afford to buy that given your cost of capital? Yeah, that's a good question, Spencer. It reminds me of a song from the 1990s band No Mercy called Where Do You Go? 
And uh, where we've chosen to, to go uh, with our clients is into uh, development of industrial and multifamily. Um, the, the relative spread that you can generate there, I mean, the unlevered yields or IRRs during the time you start construction till when you lease it, you know, we're seeing those being 13 to 15%. So compare that to a five to 6% unlevered IRR for core, you know, you can pick up a thousand basis points of return. And we've got so much experience at principal and development that the risks that you're taking are really more than compensated by that additional return that you're getting. Um, interesting stat for you, and this will surprise you, I bet, Spencer, but since 2001, when we started tracking our development activity, we've completed over almost $11 billion worth of development deals, 180 different transactions, and the performance of those deals on an unlevered basis was 31% IRR from the time you started construction until you leased it up. So our clients have been rewarded uh, handsomely for taking on that risk, and we're continuing to do it today. As we sit here looking at numbers uh, just last week, we've got at principal for all of our different clients a little over $8.5 billion worth of construction underway in the United States. Uh, Over 80% of that is a combination of industrial and multifamily, not surprising. So our clients have really embraced development and they've been rewarded. And we hope that continues on with the the $8 billion that we've got underway. Um, This year, uh, obviously it's not over yet, but we're on track to have our largest year ever in terms of new commitments to development at uh, $3 billion. So that's where we've gone. As the song says, uh, we've gone to development. And uh, again, I think we'll stay there as long as uh, the U.S. economy stays as strong as it is right now. Or to quote the doors, when the music's over, turn out the lights. (laughs) But the music is not over yet in the development space. And let me ask you just one more question, Rod. Uh, You mentioned your clients, which I presume you mean your capital clients, the clients that are providing capital for you. How do you build? Do you build direct or do you bring in operating partners? Yeah, good question, Spencer. Um, Every one of our development deals uh, is with a joint venture partner. We like having that partner there for local expertise to manage it day to day and, you know, obviously put in some capital. But one of the ways that we mitigate the risk is by having strong development partners uh, in each one of our transactions. Mm -hmm. Let's stay on the development theme now, Paige. Let's go to you. Uh, What kind of new building are you seeing in the Pacific Northwest? We have a bit of a land constraint issue here, both in both markets, you know, just geographically up in Seattle and then um, in Portland, we have sort of urban growth boundaries that kind of prevent sprawling development. But what we're really starting to see is development moving outside of our traditional metropolitan areas, um, just given the demand for big box industrial. We're sort of running out of room in our traditional submarkets, so we're seeing that development spread. And, and in some ways, you know, Portland and, and Seattle are getting closer connected up and down I-5. But, you know, to Rod's point, we're seeing a ton of capital chasing development, I think even more so than a couple of years ago, just given the rent growth that we're seeing in industrial, it's almost 
you're de-risking it in a way as you're going to cap- capture that rent growth as you're holding during that development period. There's really been a huge focus on trying to control those big land sites. But the other factor that's coming into play is we're seeing some of the big occupiers uh, on the e-commerce side just buy uh, some of those sites and developing those on their own. A lot of people are building live-work-play developments with office, with retail. I know retail is an area that's a bit more challenged. Uh, and uh, multifamily office all together. Are we seeing a lot of mixed use going up, uh, Paige, in the Pacific Northwest? We're not seeing a lot of it in the Pacific Northwest. We're not seeing a ton of uh, speculative office development really at this point, um, or you know, we're really just absorbing the pipeline. So we haven't seen too much in our markets. Rob, what, what's your point of view on mixed use? We've got uh, a couple of projects uh, going up, uh, one in the San Francisco Bay Area that uh, is office, uh, has some street-level retail and apartments. So we like mixed use. We've historically done pretty well. Uh, These have been, again, maybe the primary urban markets like uh, the Bay Area. Um, But to Paige's point, we're not seeing a lot of that around the country today. I mean, office vacancy rates generally are so high that it uh, doesn't make sense for more spec to be built. And retail, as you mentioned, is essentially a four-letter word. So um, it could be we anticipate there'll be more opportunities as the markets continue to strengthen for those two property types. But uh, I think for good reasons, there's not a lot of that being built today. I was just looking up on Google. Uh, the band that sang the song, Can You Take Me Higher? Um, I don't know, Paige, if you know the band, but uh, nevertheless, uh, I don't think uh, vacancies are going to get higher in office. As a matter of fact, we're seeing right now already a snapback in markets like New York. Now, San Fran has actually lagged it a little bit uh, because it was more tech-heavy, but New York has seen a snapback where sublet levels um, have pulled back materially. Uh, We're seeing a lot more activity. So there's real activity in uh, the city that never sleeps Uh, which I think is a leading indicator for how the office market is going to perform uh, elsewhere. Uh, What do you think, Paige? Yeah, we're definitely starting to see more absorption, uh, certainly in the Seattle market. And, you know, a lot of it is going first, as you mentioned, Spencer, to that sublease space, um, just given there, there was a lot of high quality space that came on the market. Um, and those landlords are happy to make a deal there. Um, but it's it's good to see those fundamentals really starting to come back. And, and I think in Portland, like I mentioned, we had seen a lot of our supply get delivered kind of pre-pandemic. And I feel like the noise around just leaving office entirely has died down significantly. And now that we've all been spending more time back in the office, we're sort of realizing like all the, the great you know f- things that come about when we're around each other. Yeah, Paige, I I think that's going to be one of the uh, major drivers in demand is when companies start coming back into the office, as you noted, most of them talking next year. At principal, uh, we came back into the office after Labor Day. We've gone to kind of a flex work arrangement where employees are in Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, Tuesday and Friday can work remotely or they can be in the office all five days. My teams have found it great to get back together, the interaction, right, the collaboration. Um, so I'm very pleased with what we've seen uh, in our own workforce after the first of the year. I think you'll really see the, the office market strengthen uh, as people do come back into the office. And I, I hope that doesn't get delayed further. But that that's the key driver, I think, behind uh, seeing some tangible net absorption for, for office. 
And I think it's nice, as you mentioned, even though you've moved to a hybrid model, you're going to have all the people there at the same day. So it's not really going to lessen your demand for or need for the same amount of square footage. And I think that's a consistent message that we've been hearing more and more as well. Well, Rod, uh, you use the term that your people are coming together. So that is a Beatles song. But I want to thank my producer uh, for getting me the name of the Can You Get Me Higher by Creed. So uh, we... uh, Thank the people at Creed for writing the song uh, that made it to today's episode. So let's now talk about post-pandemic changes. We are seeing changes where there's a flight to quality, and we're seeing that clearly in industrial multifamily. But Rod, you mentioned the alternatives, the data centers, the life sciences. Um, and, and you were going after them because of fundamentals, because of yield. You're getting yields that are a little bit better. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. A lot of it's driven by uh, what we call our digital investment strategy, um, which, you know, has identified single family rental, um, certainly data centers, uh, life science uh, property types as those that we think will outperform over the next three to five years. We've made a concerted effort to make investments there. We last year launched a data center fund, very successful capital raise, and are now in the market. Uh, it's a value-add slash opportunistic fund. So uh, we're either developing data centers, speculative, or buying you know one, uh, old centers that may need to be rehabbed. So again, another higher octane strategy targeting net 20% returns. Um, so we're excited about that. Single family rental, our strategy is going to be uh, to build, uh, rent, and sell. Um, and take advantage of what we think is going to be, again, strong demographic forces. And uh, surprising to me uh, how low cap rates are in single-family rental. I mean, they almost mirror multifamily, um, and and probably for good reason given the fundamentals. But we're we're probably more of a merchant uh, investor in that segment. Not that we don't like it long-term. Again, clients, the search for yield uh, is such that uh, I think we're going to build them, rent them, and flip them. Uh, life sciences, uh, again, like a lot, just given the market dynamics. Uh, that's a property type where we'll more of a build decor approach. We think long term, uh, again, in the markets like a Boston, San Francisco, Seattle, Raleigh, um, those, those life science markets uh, have a lot of room to run. And we think uh, we'll offer some real compelling uh, long term investment returns for our clients. Now, the single-family rental market, I'd like you to dig just a little bit deeper into exactly how you structure that, uh, Rod, because I think a lot of people think you buy a bunch of homes or build a bunch of homes and rent them up and get rid of them. But are you doing these all on one piece of land, and are you keeping the fee interest uh, in one person's hand, or you have separate uh, lots for each of the uh, different homes? Yeah, good question. There are different uh, ways and avenues to participate. The first one you mentioned is the disparate home uh, ownership approach where you buy a home in one of 50 different cities. Uh, That's not our strategy. It's certainly workable. Ours is more of let's go out and find some land, again, in a joint venture with a residential developer where we can assemble a site that can handle 150 to maybe 220 single family homes. These will be 1,200 square feet to maybe 1,800 square feet. So really, it's a competitor to multifamily, right? Except you get a garage, you get a small lawn. We think there'll be strong demand uh, for that. 
There will be, uh, it'll in essence be one tax parcel. We're not looking to sell to the renter. They're going to rent because uh, that's what they want to do for mobility reasons, for affordability reasons. And so this is a build them out in a phase or two, rent them, and then uh, you know sell them as uh, one single asset in the marketplace. Well, to quote the talking heads, uh, <laughs> here you are in a beautiful house, and then you say, well, how did I get here? Uh, and people are getting there because there's great value in these uh, rental homes, um, even though we have historically low interest rates and mortgage rates. But speaking of, well, how did I get here? I think, uh, Paige, you know, I say this with great pride. I, I've known you now for probably 15 years, and you've been a tremendous success story for us. Uh, I'm very proud of everything you've done, just getting promoted again to EVP. If you don't mind just telling our listeners for just a moment uh, from the Talking Heads question, well, how did you get here, and what tips would you give to people who uh, want to be the next Paige Morgan? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much. I was fortunate to grow up in a real estate family. My dad was a, a developer back east, and my mom had a property management company that managed the you know projects that my dad's company built. So it was definitely the the talk of the dinner table in my family. And I feel very fortunate that I was introduced to real estate. Um, I wanted to be a developer, but then once I got into development, I realized there was just... Um, too many decisions, too many meetings, it was too slow. So uh, ended up transitioning over to the capital market side. And, and that's been a great fit for uh, just my interest, kind of that bringing together of marketing and finance and uh, research and writing. And it's been an exciting career. My advice to others, I think real estate is really a business of perseverance. I hear that from developers. I feel that from the brokerage side, like putting in your hard work and coming in with a good attitude. I mean, that's going to that's really going to get you far, I think, in this business. I think my other piece of advice would just be, for me personally, I've gotten um, you know more bees with honey, right? So I think just being approachable and doing what you say you're going to do, and um, as you are, have these long careers, that really starts to, to pay back in, in the future as everybody remembers how they were treated early and will treat you with, with that same respect moving forward. So that would be my advice. And Rod, you are, and I say this, uh, you know, with great uh, pride as well. I mean, you're one of the true leaders of our industry, uh, leading one of the largest real estate investors in the world on the equity side. Uh, big picture, how'd you get here? And second, what piece of advice would you have people coming up who want to be uh, in the next Rod Vogel? Well, thanks for those kind comments, uh, Spencer. Appreciate it. I graduated from the University of Nebraska with a finance major and uh, principal was looking for finance majors in the mid-80s. So I was lucky enough to to get hired by a a truly a great company. Started in asset management as an analyst, like uh, most of our people do, and kind of got the million-dollar education at principal. Um, We're very proud of the fact that we have many people that have been there 20, 25, 30 years like myself. And so with that kind of continuity of people and process, you just really have a tremendous opportunity um, to grow and expand. Perseverance, as Paige mentioned, is important. And patience is important because it's uh, such a fast-moving business uh, with with so many opportunities that you, you have to be patient. Unlike my days, there weren't many as many real estate programs in colleges like there is today. So many of these uh, young uh, new hires have a pretty good real estate base to them by the time they show up, which gives them a a leg up. And so 
my advice to them is, first of all, and this is the challenge with the millennials, is be patient. <laughs> You've got to put in your time. Um, good things will happen to you. Um, second thing I tell them is uh, the way we're set up at principal, you're assigned a specific geographic territory. When I started, it was Seattle, Portland, and San Francisco. And I was told and taught, you got to learn those markets better than your home base of Des Moines, Iowa. So we really focus and teach them, you know, their particular market so they know streets. And if you mention a building, they'll know it. So we teach them. Uh, and that's one of the key things for their success. Um, lastly, you know, I've been talking to him right now, and I really believe this. It's uh, kind of a uh, unusual and uh, exciting opportunity for them. When Paige and I and you grew up in the industry, there was really four property types, right? Office, industrial, retail, multifamily, student housing came along. And now we sit here today talking about single family rental, data centers, manufactured housing, life science. I mean, there's now institutional investors are going to be investing in eight, nine, ten different property types. So they're at the forefront of a uh, evolution of the U.S. institutional real estate uh, investment marketplace. So it's really exciting times. So let's have a few more wrap up questions. And Paige, let's start with you. So uh, we're still in the pandemic, but we are um, moving forward from a capital market standpoint first. Uh, fundamentals are improving. What do you think are some of the lasting changes uh, because of the pandemic in the office and industrial space from a capital markets perspective to how it might impact value? I think that the impact of e-commerce can't be denied. I think that will be longstanding. I think We've continued to see more and more money flow into real estate as an asset class. And I think that is building momentum throughout the pandemic. Um, and I believe that's going to really keep yields compressed. Um, even if we see rates start to rise, I believe we're going to see that amount of capital trying to flow in with the limited opportunities is going to keep our yields low. So I'm pretty bullish on real estate as an asset class moving forward out of the pandemic. And I think, you know, speaking about office, you know, Rod and I were mentioning before, we've started to see investors turn back towards office just in that search for yield and frustrated by the lack of opportunities in industrial and multifamily. Um, so I don't see the office being out of favor as a longstanding result of the pandemic. I, I don't believe that that will happen. And, you know, there are good opportunities in the office investment market now. The spread between a five-year lease deal for a seven to 10-year lease deal, I mean, 100 150 basis points. I mean, that's very significant. And then even when you're looking at the industrial deals that we're underwriting now, the risk of those deals is more significantly weighted towards the residual than it ever has been in the past versus office where you're seeing a lot more of that return come back to you through cash flow. That's sort of a, the inverse of, of what we've seen in the past. So I think there's definitely opportunities for investors to pursue. Spencer, um, we believe interest rates are going to stay low for quite a, a long time. The talks of inflation, I think, are overstated. Uh, at least our belief is uh, a little bit of inflation in the system would be great, but I don't think it's going to be runaway such that you're going to see a big rise in uh, U.S. interest rates, which in turn is going to allow cap rates to remain, again, at historically low nominal rates. 
So we're very bullish on the U.S. economy, the outlook for it going forward. Uh, so many different demand drivers, as we've talked about. That leads us to being very bullish with U.S. commercial real estate investments. And our clients, both foreign and domestic, are viewing it the same way. And so I think you'll see even more uh, out of the pandemic, more capital flow to real estate as a tangible asset. Um, the stock market uh, is richly priced, uh, which uh, I think also is contributing to investors' interest in, in adding to their real estate exposure. Many of our clients are increasing their allocation to real estate uh, as we sit here today, which uh, bodes well long term for the market, given uh, you know there'll be ample liquidity. Um, the other changes from the pandemic is kind of what we talked about already, these niche property types, the alternative sectors. Probably would have happened. I don't know to the degree it would have happened like it is today, absent the pandemic. Um, we do, as I said, remain optimistic about office. I do think there is going to be quite a bit more functionally obsolete buildings uh, due to the pandemic and people and employees concerned about fit well and the air quality of buildings, et cetera, that um, I think there is going to be some of that stock that just has to be repurposed. Um, and I think that's another advent of, of the pandemic. Great. Well, um, uh, no runaway inflation, no runaway interest rates, but Runaway by Del Shannon from 1960 <laughs> remains one of the greatest songs ever written. Oh, classic. Well, with that, I want to thank two of our terrific friends, starting with Rod Vogel, Senior Managing Director from Principal Real Estate Investors. Rod, thank you for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Spencer. Always great to be with you. Great to be with you, Rod. Next time in person, next time at the Iowa State Fair. That's a deal. And another one of my great friends, Paige Morgan, newly promoted executive vice president, Northwest Capital Markets. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, I'd say you're one of the bright spots coming out of the pandemic, Spencer, that we're, we're all looking for. I think your weekly take is um, incredible content and uh, it's a great, uh, great takeaway from, from the pandemic. So thanks again. Thank you, Paige. Thank you, Rod. Thank you, listeners. For a deeper dive into our 2021 first half U.S. cap rate survey, we'll feature a link on the weekly take homepage. You'll be able to find the complete report with a wealth of data and investor insights at your fingertips, breakdowns by sector, class, and region, and custom searchability using a dynamic map tool. All that and more will be posted on cbre.com slash the weekly take. As always, please share the show, subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen. We'll be back next week with a Miami sound machine. That is a conversation about one of my favorite cities and its recent divergence as, of all things, a tech hub. For now, I'm Spencer Levy. Be smart, be safe, be well. Be well.